This is a shock podcast. Shock. Max, I mean, we don't even have to do the yeah, whole touch water commentators cross thing. He's he's gonna win this championship. Wow. He's unbeatable. I mean, guys, he's 26 years of age. I was gonna say, do you think he's gonna stay? Because in all the interviews, I mean, I saw one post yesterday on Instagram with an interview with him, and he was like, yeah, it's just gonna be winning another championship, and it's quite boring for me, and that isn't what's gonna make me stay in F1. It wears you out. Can you imagine doing 23 Grand Prix plus testing, media appearances, and all these kind of things as a racing driver you have to do? Maybe he might fizzle out by 30 and play golf by then, you know? Maybe, I mean, that's I an would, interesting thing. Like, what would you do? <laughs> I would definitely play golf. Hello and welcome to Suited and Booted, a Formula One podcast where we talk about all things Formula One from a racing driver's perspective. My name is Daniel Woodruff and with me in the studio I have... Jasmine Jafar. We're on 10. Hello gents. So today we're going to be talking about the Canadian Grand Prix. I think it's the most difficult, or one of the most difficult races for us Asians or people based in Asia to watch because it's just like opposite time zone. It wasn't even yesterday, it was like earlier on this morning, at least from the time of this recording. I mean, it's one of the races that's been in the calendar for a very long time, loads of history, very narrow, high speed, high degradation, and a lot of action. A lot of action indeed. So getting straight into that action, let's talk about qualifying. So usually a bit of a less interesting part of a race weekend, but quali over the weekend was pretty mad, right? I mean, the, the weather conditions were all over the place. Very tricky indeed. Very tricky indeed. I mean, you can see from Q1, Q2, and Q3, the rain came, it stopped, drivers weren't really sure whether they should go on slicks, inters, or full wets. It definitely made it very interesting. For sure. And we saw quite a, a shift up in the usual positions. And I think our standout driver of the qualifying day has to be Nico Hulkenberg. 2016 was the last time he was on the front row. Mm. I think he also capitalized when he was in uh, Williams in his early days of Formula One. But unfortunately, he was hit with a three grid place penalty. Uh, that is a shame. That's a shame. It would have been good to see him on the front row. But because he was actually speeding during the red flag that was caused by Oscar Piastri who also did a very good qualifying result that put him back so you know what guys nowadays you can see all these delta speeds and they can listen to your radio so they know how fast you're going so if you mm -hmm. get caught you get caught right-handed but it's, it's so unfortunate it's such a such a silly almost amateur mistake to make and I know they have so many things to kind of keep in mind but it's such a shame that your front row start gets pushed back because of such a, a silly issue that you expect from junior formula of course we're all racing drivers here or, or were racing drivers and I think that's uh, something we need to highlight in this show. Painting a little bit of perspective for some people that may not have driven a race car and don't really understand how tricky qualifying really was. We used to get a lot of wet-dry conditions racing go-karts here in Malaysia, particularly when you get to the final race of the weekend. It's like, it just rained, you know, heavy thunderstorm, but it stopped raining. The track is drying. It's still a little bit slippery and greasy. You don't know whether you want to go on dry tires or on wet tires, and that's exactly what a lot of the drivers went through as well. Why is it so difficult? I feel that the build-up of the race weekend revolves around qualifying first because that's your first part of the war during the weekend. You know, you arrive on the Tuesday, Wednesday dealing with jet lag, you go through scenarios in FP1, onto an FP2 and then early morning FP3 to have the right setup and the ideal balance coming to qualifying. After all that build-up, you still have the pressure to perform to go through Q1, Q2 and Q3 and that's how the team judges your performance 
as a raw pace driver. Looking at the perspective from a driver's point of view, the first person you want to beat is your teammate. The second thing you want to look is how can I capitalize during a race weekend in such conditions, right? If whether you're in a smaller team like Haas or Williams or even Aston's trying to capitalize a win because some tracks are also very, very difficult to overtake. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Monaco or Canada or etc. So the pressure to perform builds up by going through the first set of war and then you have the second world war during the race. So that's how, from a driver's perspective, it, it, it's quite heavy. Yeah, for sure. And you don't want to take too many races. I mean, it's already a difficult track to drive. Of course, there's the wall of champions here in Canada where you're riding right up to the wall, making sure you're using the maximum track available to you on the racing line. And if you're, you know, deciding to bomb it round on slick tires, but the track's still wet, I mean, your chances of going into that wall, as we saw in the race in the dry, is already really, really high. I mean, that's the interesting part about qualifying. I personally think it's the most exciting period during a race weekend because, like Jess said, you know, the whole build-up going to the first wall of qualifying, everyone is putting 110% into that one lap during Q1, Q2 or Q3 just to make the time. And you can see, like, the lap times are, like, five seconds a lap quicker than, than the race pace. Everyone is going absolutely flat out. If you're half an inch over the curb too much, you're in the wall. The drivers have to be so precise and that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, that's fair enough. I guess it's reminiscent of the old days of Formula 1, right? Because I, I don't think drivers are pushing as hard in the race as they used to do maybe 20 years ago and qualies really where we get to see them stretch their legs out. So to wrap up qualifying, it was Max P1, obviously. Hulkenberg P2, not so obviously. Very, very interesting. Alonso P3, great to see him back up there. Hamilton P4 and Russell P8. Five. Let's talk about the race itself. I said last episode, Max, I mean, we don't even have to do the yeah, whole touch wood or commentators <laughs> curse thing. He's he's going to win this championship. Wow. He's unbeatable at the moment. Yeah. He is. He's just walked away with a new record. So he's on par with Senna for total race win counts. I believe it's 41. 41 race wins. Which has now brought Red Bull to 100. So he's only 10 race wins away from being on par with Alain Prost at 51. Still a little bit far away from Hamilton with 103. Of course, Hamilton has the chance to add a few more to that. I mean, guys, he's 26 years of age, right? He got, got to Formula 1 at like, what, 18? Yeah. I mean, you remember when you were 18 years old, right? And look, like, he's 26 years old and he's already reaching that mark. Although, yeah, seeing the next bit of records um, to beat Lewis or Michael for that matter, he's on the way. It's just his motivation of wanting to do it. I was going to say, do you think he's going to stay? Because in all the interviews, I mean, I saw one post yesterday on Instagram with an interview with him and he was like yeah it's just going to be winning another championship after another and it's quite boring for me and that isn't what's going to make me stay in F1 so do you think he's going to stay? How long is he going to stay? What's he going to do next? Yeah, true. I mean, it's been his life since he was three years old, right? Mm. Father was a Formula 1 driver. Father knew the tricks of the trade. You know, started moving to Monaco at 18 years old. I mean, everything was destined for Formula 1 to be a Formula 1 world champion. But it wears you out. Like, can you imagine doing 23 Grand Prix plus testing, media appearances and all these kind of things as a racing driver you have to do for the past God knows how long that, that he's been in the sport. So maybe he might fizzle out by 30 and play golf by then you know maybe I mean that's I an would, interesting thing like, what, what would you do I would definitely play golf but I would <laughs> yeah. have to see Max at least try IndyCar mm. I think IndyCar mm. would be really interesting I mean they've got a different race winner every single race the disparity between the cars are a lot less it's a bit like going back to Formula 2 in a way and then you can really see the difference between the drivers and see if Max can still basically outshine everyone else I reckon he's gonna He if he did ovals he would bin it <laughs> <laughs> the guy is always on limit and I mean you've done ovals yeah. run like yeah. 
Yeah. There's, there's no room for error. It's literally the wall. Absolutely. It looks easy from the outside, but when you're actually in the car, it's a lot trickier and a lot more technical than it looks. Um, very, very interesting experience because you're only going in one direction. Mm. But the setup of the car is, is so sensitive to the different types of oval. You've got different types of camber, different amount of banking. And I think the setup does more than the driver sometimes. But also one small mistake, you're in the wall. Uh, that's very, very true. Maybe maybe he will retire. I mean, I, I think one of the things that people don't realize and maybe Drive to Survive has given them a kind of inkling as to what it takes to be a Formula One driver. But I think as with any other professional athlete, you don't have a life, you know? I mean, as you were saying, he, like since he was a kid, Max Verstappen was my teammate in karts. I went to Italy, I raced with him. I actually was in the van where they like kept his karts. So Yoss used to drive me to dinner every night with Max in the front. Just being around him, the kid is the first one there. He was the last one on the team to leave. They brought his own go-kart back with him to the hotel back home every single race you know father's working on the engine father's working on the cart they know everything that's going on he had such an edge and it was like it was his life and we've we've heard the stories about his dedication his dad leaving him at a petrol station because he been the world championship you know on like the last corner of the last lap yeah it's tough for athletes so when you're still young and let's be real the guy's got a buttload of money now yeah right you're a red bull driver i don't think income's going to be an issue for the rest of your life jokes aside maybe golf is a real thing yeah he'll so, play golf with dj Khaled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And us, hopefully. Max, you're going to play golf, hit us up. So, moving on to Max's teammate. I mean, we were saying earlier on, Collie, first person you're going to beat is your teammate. Checo, bad string of qualies, as always. Picked it up in a race. He went from P12 to P6. Enough points for Red Bull, but I don't know, man. It's just, it's not good enough. Not good enough, Dan. I mean, now it's time for him to take a step back, look at the championship as a peripheral vision, and be a good number two. I mean, he's second in championship at the moment. Um, still scoring a string of good points despite a string of bad results in qualifying, but it has affected him 100%. You're in the same car, you're in a championship winning team, you have Adrian Newey day and night that you can talk to, but it's not easy at this point. I think he's just got to play shadow behind Max and have a restart. Perhaps he can change his approach after the long summer break for the second half of the season, mm. but it's a long road ahead for him. If he's not careful, Alonso might pip him very soon. Right now, Alonso's catching up on the point points um i think they are less than 20 points in difference so you know the next round in in austria's red bull ring the home race i think he's going to have a lot of pressure to perform there max will do his own thing max and you mean win he's just going to win, he's win, win. <laughs> <laughs> and then jacko's going to come second best or at least try do you think he's playing a good enough shadow role i mean we've seen how aggressive red bull is in the past if you make two three bad mistakes something they ax you mid-season we know he's not going to beat max and i think most drivers know that if you're max's teammate you're not going to beat Max but is he playing a good enough second fiddle? He needs to be more consistent in my opinion if he wants to be let's say he's not going to win Max but he can always be second best all the time, just like Max winning every single race. You know, he can be a bit more consistent, but I think it's how he deals with the pressure. Jazz, do you think he's going to get the boot? I mean, like he's he's nowhere near as good of a second fiddle as say Bottas was with Hamilton. They were yeah. one, two all the time, but you knew it was Bottas and P2. Judging from his interviews and how he walks around the paddock and hearing on the ground, it's as though he's he keeps saying, car has lack of pace. Quality was lack of pace. The race was, was lack of pace. I mean, guys, he's his teammate just pulled the you know second ahead of him in quality. Mm -hmm. Some of the free yeah. practice sessions on the heavy fuel load, hit, um, harder tire runs, uh, four tenths ahead. Is that really the issue? It might be the driving. It might be the driving technique towards it. But I think Ron's right. Uh, you gotta look now the guys that are catching up because the guy in front of you, who so happened to be your teammate, is pulling away from you. 
So whether he plays good as a second fiddle, I think in the development of the car he is, with mm. the amount of experience he has in Formula 1, I think he knows what it takes to get there. But sometimes a string of bad results can really pull you down in Formula 1. You're right. And and talking about not getting to grips with the car, I mean, as racing drivers, we know that sometimes you'll get a new chassis, you'll get a new car, you'll move up into a category and just not feel right, not feel at home. And we saw this happen with Ricardo last year. We know how good Ricardo is. He's tried and tested for years and years and years in a bad car and a good car. He's he's worked his way up. He's won seven Grand Prix. Maybe it's a case of Checo not gelling with the car, but in the world of Formula 1, it doesn't matter, you know. You're you're meant to be the best in the world. So True. if you're not up to, up to grips with the car, then you're going to get the boot. But yep. I guess uh only time will tell. Speaking of drivers that are gelling well with the car, and a car that I think would have better suited his teammate because obviously they would have designed it around his teammate is Alonso. Still massively outshining Lance at every single opportunity. Of course, walking away with a, another podium, P2. Wow. I mean, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they have a minor upgrade in that in that Aston. Yeah, pulled off some very good pit stops, two point three two seconds consistently on time with the strategy when it matters most, and pulled on a very good move to overtake Lewis. I very mean, very good move. I mean, this guy is on fire, man! Like if the Red Bulls weren't there, like we spoke before, he will be leading the championship at the moment. And he also did say post Spain race, you know, his his own home Grand Prix where he thought, you know, having I think having a podium there would have been a huge effects on him and the team but he did say his podiums every race after Spain and so far he has delivered so I think his race win is coming soon you know what I think about Fernando guys like when I hear his post-race um, radio comms the team keeps on saying where Stroll is um, they keep telling Alonso like oh, Lance finished ninth, or Lance is 12th in quality and he gives the motivation to pass on the message to Lance like he's doing a good job like, he's such a good team player to drive that team forward despite his teammate probably being under pressure you know as we know as racing drivers but he's a team player despite he's miles away ahead why, why do you think that is because Alonso doesn't exactly have the best reputation as a good teammate I mean quite the opposite I mean there was that whole throwing the helmet fiasco in the changing room with Hamilton I mean why do you think he's suddenly Papa Alonso in the team now maybe it's been a while that he's actually been the number one in the team maybe it throws back to his years at Renault when he was a number one and Fisichella was like six tens off him, right? In Ferrari, Massa was on par. Sometimes he was fighting for the championship. Sometimes Alonso was fighting for the championship. So I wouldn't say he was a number one. But coming to Aston, with how he walks around the paddock with his with his team kit, he's the number one driver in the team. And, and the that. results speak for themselves, right? Exactly. I think I think that whole psyche as a racing driver, I think if you're on par with your teammates, sometimes he's faster than you, sometimes he's not. I mean, you're playing mind games. I think another thing that many people don't realize is how much psychological warfare goes into you and your teammates. I'm not going to name any of my teammates, but I've had moments where their posse have removed my teammate from the room just because I was there. You know, you've got people saying things that are going to undermine their confidence. Uh, Schumacher notoriously used to lock himself in the bathroom because he knew uh, his teammate wanted to use the toilet as well. So every little jab he can to try and get ahead. But with Alonso being so far ahead, he's just, he knows he's the best. I mean, I think he's definitely matured a lot throughout the years. Um, he's 
reached a stage now he just wants to win again. Also, I think he's looking after the Stroll family. You know? <laughs> the Stroll family is looking after him and his, uh, and his salary. <laughs> yeah, that's completely fair enough. Um, we'll just call it growth. This is the, the yeah. chapter in his autobiography called Growth. Um, so, amazing overtake on Hamilton. Even more mega overtakes. Lando Norris chucking it in into that hairpin. That hairpin where I just constantly think of Kubica absolutely bombing it and barrel rolling down. Could have been the same fate by Lando because there were some pretty risky last minute moves. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's been a while since I last seen him smiling. He's been in a competitive environment all his life. And this year, after seeing post-race interviews and um, seeing his mood, he was, he's been pretty down and grumpy and trying to be politically savvy uh, in, in protecting the team. But he actually enjoyed it. He said it was it was like a kart race throughout the end. So did did quite a bit of overtaking and stuff. And these cars are huge. To do go-kart moves at, you know, 300Ks, it's carry. But he did it. And it's on what's basically a, a street track. I mean, it's not a... It's a dusty, bumpy circuit with no kind of margin for error. So mm. hats off to him. Hats off to the McLaren boys. Slightly better showing. Uh, Piastri also did okay. Still think McLaren isn't where they want to be. Every time I see Zach Brown's Instagram posts, it's like, we need to do better. And then he talks about the IndyCar team and it's all about, you know, their <laughs> really, really good yeah. showings occasionally. I think, I think, I think Zach prefers being stateside than, than in Europe watching these F1 races. Enough about teammates. Let's talk about the potential silly season coming up. We've got the summer break coming in a couple of weeks, and we know that we'll start to have these conversations about team moves coming up. We know Hamilton is still waiting on signing that contract with Mercedes. But Mick Schumacher said, and I quote, I'm always ready. Believe me, I'm working very hard to hopefully be back in the car soon, he told a German broadcaster. So two names that come to mind for replacement, Logan and DeVries. But Ron, I know you don't think Logan's going to get the act. No, I don't think so. I think Logan's going to stay. You know, ultimately, at this level of sport, a lot of things are quite political as well. They want global viewership, especially now that American company is running Formula One. They need an American in the car. Sad to say, but there are some political ties to, to a lot of the decisions made in Formula One. So I think, if anything, the person that might get the boot or probably deserves to get the boot, unfortunately, is Tavris. And I think this is a great segue for us to bring our new bit into Suited and Booted. So every single episode now, we're going to have a little segment called Win It or Bin It, where we talk about who our driver of the day or weekend is or was, and who just absolutely binned it and should have done a much better job. So I don't want to talk about who won it. Let's talk about who binned it. And you just mentioned DeVries. Yeah. I'm going to say DeVries binned it. DeVries binned it. Zero out of 10. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Ron? Yeah. That's 100%. Three, three for three, <laughs> three 100% for three. unanimous decision. DeVries binned it. Why? This error's lack of pace, one of the most experienced drivers on the grid, you know, from junior categories to being factory drivers at Mercedes and now an AlphaTauri driver, he's got to get his act together, man. I mean, the younger drivers are already knocking on the door. You know, I've seen Red Bull already promoting Liam Lawson. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. he's coming up the ladder. Uh, Ayumu Iwasa just won another race in Barcelona. Hey, they're coming strong. It's cruel, isn't it? I mean, winning every single race in the junior categories, you think you do well in Formula 1, you arrive and you completely bin it. I mean, we, we were saying last episode, guys, if you just watch Formula 1 and you don't watch junior categories, De Vries is a legend. He is a living legend in go-karts at the very least. Okay, let's let's take away junior formula. In go-karts, the foundation of every racing driver's career, De Vries is one of the best ever. Up there with Max Verstappen, he's won world championships, he's won Euro championships, he's developed chassis like the Zanardi chassis. He worked closely with Dino Chiesa. He is 
is a living legend, but to just see this, I, I mean, do you think it's a, it's a lack of confidence? Is it just not getting to grips with the car, like we said Checo's struggling with? Perhaps things in Nick's sense seems to be approaching quite complicated. I think to simplify things, Nick has an approach where he's technically sound, but perhaps on the driving side doesn't match on that. Um, and these Formula 1 cars, the more you narrow down on the actual issue and you narrow down on the direction of the development that suits your driving style, then the puzzle of the pieces, you know, the, the, it, will, it will fall together. But at the moment, I don't think he's familiar enough to put that puzzle together. Let's look back in the championships that, that he's, he has driven, right? He's driven one mixed series championships that you can develop certain suspensions and dampers and, and springs and etc. But when you come to Formula 1, the, the development rate from your seat, your, you know, driving position, your weight... Steering wheel. Steering wheel. Simplifying the buttons and uh, exhausting performance to sit further forwards, for example. And, you know, Lewis likes to sit very low, you know, 15 mil off the ground. Whether Nick has that capability to match that to his driving performance. So maybe he's not ready for that. That's true. I mean, that being said also, like, I think earlier in the season when Hamilton was being outperformed by Russell I think he was also adjusting and that's from a seven time world champion so if also Hamilton needs time to sort of adapt to a new car then De Vries is, is, is no different you know to be honest Dan when Lewis came to Mercedes from McLaren in 2013 I remember Michael had about 42 buttons on the wheel you know from diff settings to engine settings to blown diffusers and, and levers for the brakes and etc and Lewis came and just had 18 buttons on the car. Why Why do you need to complicate things, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is just mm-hmm. down to the driving mm-hmm. and whatever to support the driving's performance. That's why you want to hen- enhance, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps having a teammate like Sonoda might not be the right benchmark on development. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then again, he should be aware of all of that. But I mean, development aside, just the move alone that he made on Magnussen, on the dirty side of the track, on the extreme inside, completely locking up. They both just locked up, completely went straight. It was also just a bit of a... That was a rookie move. It was a rookie rookie error. Uh, something that someone of his caliber shouldn't have done. So that was him binning it. But I'm also going to say close second for binning it that weekend. Russell, as we were saying, he literally binned it into the wall. Luckily managed to get a, a tire replacement, but ultimately having to retire anyway. Not where Toto and Mercedes need him to be. They were up there in the top five. That is a whole bunch of valuable points thrown away when it looks like Mercedes is making their resurgence up at the front. So let's go to the other end. Who won it, Ron? I think Albon. I'm really happy for him. Yeah, no 100%. Albon, is, <laughs> Albon, Albon, 10 out of 10. There we go. Unanimous decision <laughs> once again. Yeah. From P10 to P7, what a drive. I mean, for Williams to be in the top 10. For Williams. I've seen a photo of that Williams, right? When he got craned up and there was a picture of the Red Bull being craned up. When you see all these tunnel vents underneath the floors, super impressive on Red Bull. When you see the Williams, there's hardly any tunnels. Right? <laughs> yes. so, you see they don't these, have a wind tunnel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they managed to squeeze that car into Q3, fight amongst the big boys, leapfrog the McLarens, you know, just about fight with the Alpines and score 7th place. I mean, I mean, I wow. thought it was a stroke of luck when Albon decided to go on slicks when no one else did during Q2, made it to Q3, huge gamble, but they made it stick during the race. So I think they, they deserve everything to be in the top 10. You know, he was so happy on his team radio afterwards. And I never know when a driver in a, let's call it a bad car, makes it up into the point 
points. I never know if he's really happy because he's shown that he can do more than the car is realistically able to do, or if it's because he knows that he's going to be getting a salary bonus because I know that drivers <laughs> get extra payment yes. for every point that they get. Yeah, I've got to keep up with that Monaco lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, <right>? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so looking forward, next race is going to be in Spielberg in Austria, 30th of June to the 2nd of July. Boys, this isn't a track that I've driven on, but I know that both of you have. Uh, walk me through what kind of track have we got coming up? I think it's going to be... Well, Spielberg is a very technical... Actually, not too technical track, but it, it's not too long. It's short, a lot of elevations, high-speed track. Um, there's not a lot of slow corners. There's only one slow-ish corner. I think a higher downforce car will, will do very well there. There's not many slow corners in, in Spielberg. It's a low grip circuit. I think uh, tire temperature will be the most crucial bit. It's a little bit like an oval, like Ron said, one or two slow corners. But I think to get the right tire temperature will mix up the grid. I think it's going to be another exciting race coming up. Is it just going to be a Red Bull walkaway? I mean, it's the home track right max has to walk away with it and it's going to be another sea of orange it's going to be the orange orange army. clouds <laughs> orange smoke some guy yeah. with like a flare gun is going to be there and it's going to be going all over the track he's going to win isn't he yes he will. yeah i mean <laughs> you can't ignore the dutch fans you yeah. got to give it to them you got to give it to them i think he'll win all right so we're about a week away from the next race in spielberg austria that's on the 30th of june to the 2nd of july thank you so much for listening to this episode of suited and booted my name is daniel woodruff i'm way on tan i'm jasmine jafar and we will see you next next race make sure you listen to all of our episodes on shock app apple podcasts and on spotify we will see you next time drive safe